Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports, with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above, as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. And I'm John Lacombe. Uh, unfortunately, Scuzz is not with us tonight. Uh, he caught a bit of a stomach bug. Um, there's a lot of that going around. Eric, feel better, buddy. Uh, we can't wait to talk to you as much as possible this weekend uh, You know, with the Northwestern Bowl game coming up. Uh, we're playing Utah on Saturday. A um, couple things off the top before we dive in. We got a, a special guest to jump on with us uh, to talk about this game. But, uh, John, we are in the middle of running our top 50 plays of the 2023 season uh, on Twitter, at Westlaw Pirates. Uh, John, t- what... Talk, talk us through this. Yeah, yeah. depending on when the pod drops. And again, I, we don't exactly know when it's going to be dropping, but we might be almost like exactly in the middle, somewhere right in the middle of, of the, the mid-20s of counting down from 50. Hope everyone's really been enjoying it so far. We've gotten some really good feedback. Um, it's just been a lot of fun. Like we've been able to, we were able to dig up video for just about everything that we wanted to find. And yeah, we've been counting them down. We're as we record right now, we've done 50 through 31, so 30 and under is, is where it is. And at, at once, I think it's great. At, it, it Simultaneously, there were more than enough great moments from this season to find 50 great ones. So the 20 we've already done have been really fun to do. And at the same time, um, I remember talking with you guys, like without giving it away, like I remember looking... And, and ranking them. And when we put the rankings together and being like, all right, this is this is the way the countdown's going to look. Looking at number 20 and without looking, without naming that play in particular, just looking at number 20 and being like, I can't believe there are 19 plays better than this, but there are. Yeah. And it's like, that's the kind of fun season that we're having. So again, hope you've all enjoyed it so far. It only gets better from here. We've, we've got some awesome plays that we're going to be counting down for the rest of the week. Let's not forget, uh, we've got our watch party coming up on Saturday uh, to watch the Vegas Bowl. Uh, come join uh, John and I at Beer Miscuous, uh, 2812 North Lincoln Avenue, uh, corner of Racine, Lincoln, and Diversity. We've had a great time there uh, so far this season, um, You know, as we've watched a number of games there. And uh, excited to kind of wrap up the season with Austin and the gang over there. Um, it's just such a good time. We hope to see as many of you guys out there as possible. Absolutely. Um, one of the, so the first thing that I'll mention is again, like really hoping everyone comes. It is bring, you can, you know, you can bring food in and obviously like from the watch parties we've had in the past, we've mainly been like, look, like they have an unbelievable selection, which Sam will expound on in a second. For in terms of what you can drink, but in terms of food, like there's a, t- a taco place nearby that you can get food at and a couple of other options. But in this case, it occurred to us, this is a proper bowl party and a celebration. And any of you who are coming, if you want to bring anything like holiday cookies or Northwestern cookies or whatever else strikes your fancy um, for the whole group to enjoy, feel free, go nuts. Um, I know that Austin... And the gang of Beer Miscuous are more than happy to have you do that, and we would love that. So we'll probably be bringing something. 
Um, but feel free to bring anything that you want as well. It's it's a party after all. So come on and join us, and we're going to have a, a blast. And now I'll turn the floor over to Sam because this is one of the enjoyable things where there is no more beer nerd friendly place than Beer Miscuous, and Sam is is that kind of guy. So take us through it, Sam. Thank you. Yeah, I, I'm going to put my beer nerd hat on here for a second. Um, just an incredible tap list. Uh, you know, not not to mention the six or seven coolers of different uh, canned and bo- bottled and canned beers from around the city. Uh, just incredible selection. But taking a look at the draft selection that they're that they should be having on Saturday, uh, a couple I just wanted to note. Um, number one. Uh, the American Lager from Metropolitan, Microvolt. Uh, if you're familiar with the Chicago beer scene, uh, we will you know, kind of raise a glass as Metropolitan was one of the very first craft brewers in, in Chicago um, beyond kind of the, the, the goose island of it all. Um, and they just this week had to close their doors after more than 10 years uh, just Really awful. Uh, just so sad to see them go. They had an incredible location, um, a patio overlooking the river. It is just absolutely phenomenal. And we still have their uh, their Microvolt American Lager on tap. So I'm definitely going to be enjoying one of those as we uh, as we get into this bowl game on Saturday. Um, they've also got on tap uh, from Sketchbook, which is uh, Evanston Brewery. So you know support the. Evanston Brewery. They've got an Imperial IPA. Uh, they're Double Coastal, which is a, a big, a big one. It's uh, 8.5 percent ABV. Um, yeah, Imperial IPA, so it's going to be big in flavor, uh, really good hoppiness. It's just really, really lovely. And they've got a whole other variety, a number of different kind of holiday style beers. Um, you know, you've got the the Pipeworks Forest Fauna it's got it's a spruce IPA I, I'm not quite sure what that means but it, it's got to be interesting Pipeworks puts out some really really good stuff um, there is from Modern Dune which is a Belgian style brewery from Chicago they've got a Winter Claus it's uh, described as a bread pudding baking spice festive Belgian holiday ale uh, so you know you, you want to kind of get your holiday spirit going. Uh, that that would be a great way to go, and um, I've always enjoyed uh, art, art history. Uh, their German Pilsner, the Bauhaus, uh, it, it's phenomenal. It's really really good, kind of German, tr- kind of traditional German style, very malty, real crisp, just absolutely delicious. Um, and and the and the final one I'll, I'll mention is again a style I really really enjoy. Uh, the ESB extra special bitter. It's like traditional old English style, and this is uh, from a brewery called Beguile, um, which is you know right up on the north side. I used to live like a couple blocks away from that great place. Awesome folks who work over there, uh, and their uh, can't find a bitter man is their ESB uh, that's going to be on tap there. So. All that and much, much more at Beer Miscuous. Um, I just want to say, too. <laughs> looking forward to see as many people there as possible. If, you're, if you just listen to all that and you're like, I don't know what the hell any of that was, <laughs> I don't know either. I go in and Sam and Austin tell me what to drink, and it's delicious. And if that's you, I mean, fantastic. I think for me, one of the, the big things about this, and I, I just think of how long we've been doing this pod, which is a long time now, and... We have really found this spot this year where, again, it is 
just to watch Sam be absolutely in his element where a place that is just a beer connoisseur's dream and have that place run by a diehard Northwestern fan, Austin, who is like, I am about Northwestern football and watching these games and packing a bunch of Wildcats into the bar to watch with me. I mean, it's like, what more could you want? So yeah, just come out and enjoy yourselves with us. So, you know, like I said, we were, you know, we're trying we're trying to preview this game against Utah and it's just such an interesting situation with the transfer portal and uh, you know, opt-outs for the NFL, you know, that's just become such a thing. It's hard to do. So, uh, we like I said, we brought a very very special guest on. Let's go ahead and, and go to him now. Well, with the Las Vegas Bowl just mere days away, uh, we were going to dive in and kind of take as deep of a dive as we could into into Utah. But as we were preparing, we figured, you know, on Inside NU, Bradley Locker came out with just an in-depth, deep dive into Utah. And instead of just, you know, us parroting that, we figured, let's just go to the source. Bradley Locker, welcome back to the show. Uh, thanks for jumping on with us in such short notice. What's up, guys? Always appreciate uh, the coverage you do and, and your readership and you know our, our ongoing conversations about Northwestern. But yeah, I think it's it's a fun matchup. It's a familiar one. I think I was kind of expecting and almost hoping for a different team for Northwestern to get exposure to, maybe even a USC um, or a UCLA. But I think it's going to be an engaging matchup nonetheless. I'm just picturing, Brad, like... Your your home and your family is going. Hey, you want to help decorate the tree? And you're like, No, I'm crushing this Utah backup safety <laughs> tape right now. <laughs> got got no got no time. I got big things going on. But uh, it's it's funny. We like we said. I mean, we've had you on a couple times already, and this was one of those ones where, like Sam said, we we looked at looked at this we're like all right it's time for us to preview utah and then we looked and you just had the classic bradley locker deep video analysis up going through position by position we were like yep we just better get brad on but let me let me start this way brad let me pose this question to you and you tell us whether you agree or disagree based on everything i'm looking at and everything all the research you've done and it's all on inside and you is the team that is most like this Utah team that we have already played the Iowa Hawkeyes? Agree or disagree? It's it's tough to say. I think obviously Utah's a, it's a lot better on offense than Iowa is, but you know that kind of goes for pretty much any team in the country. Yeah, that, that, that's not saying a lot, but yeah. So I mean, the difference uh, between the two is that Utah can actually score a decent number of points. I think the Utes average twenty four and a half points per game, but I think in terms of the, bat, the defense being the backbone, that's definitely similar. Um, I think Utah, I mean, there was a, a stat I uncovered, which was when Utah allowed more than 17 points in a game, the team went one and four. So it seems, feels like there's, 17 might be the hallmark. And there's a flip side There's a flip side to that stat also, which is that, that seven times they allowed less, 17 or less points, and they won every one of those games. So Yeah, no, it's very true. I think 17 is maybe the number that's going to decide this game for Northwestern. Um, but I think it's, yeah, yeah, I mean, with a Kyle Whittingham team, you know you're going to get a very disciplined team that used for top 25 and penalty yards a game. They just play very sound. Uh, football tend to not beat themselves a ton. Um, and I think Morgan Scally, the defensive coordinator, is when you look at his resume, his ability to develop NFL talent and just kind of build a cohesive unit. Utah didn't have a ton of absolute flat-out freaks on the defense. I think Jonah Ellis was the big one with 
I think he had 12 sacks, 16 TFLs, was a first-team all-pack 12. But um, especially in this Las Vegas Bowl, Utah is going to be down a number of typical starters, and you could view that as a negative for Utah, and I think in a lot of ways it is. But at the same time, this coaching staff is so good at maximizing the talent that it gets and kind of getting the buy-in. And I think that's kind of speaks to what Utah is as a program and what Northwestern tries to be as well. And there's a reason that David Braun said he really tries to kind of mirror Whittingham and, and the arc he's had at Utah. So it's so interesting, you know, as we try to preview this game and, you know, with bowl season just in general, with so many t- people opting out to go to the NFL or opting out for the transfer portal or, you know, it, it's so difficult to really get a sense of who we're going to like, how to how to preview this team. But, you know, the Utah's starting quarterback, obviously, you know, Cam Rising was their superstar quarterback, missed the entire year. Um, and the the guy who had been in there starting, he's going to the portal, but he's playing in the game, which is like one of the few times you've ever, you ever really see that. I mean, most, most guys who are in the portal, they're like, okay, we're out. But, uh, you know, you've got Bryson Barnes sitting here saying, yeah, I'm leaving, but I'm playing this game. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you hit the nail on the head. It's it's one of the weirder things I've seen in college football because even Barnes admitted it was strange himself. And I don't know if it's going to affect his preparation or his mental state going into the game. Maybe he's trying to cement his legacy at Utah. And I've also seen people joke that maybe he's trying out for Northwestern in some ways, knowing that he's going to be leaving at the end of the game and the Wildcats might be looking at a quarterback in the portal. But I mean, yeah, Barnes is definitely not Cam Rising. I think when I, whenever I watched Rising in the past, whether it was the Rose Bowl or Pac-12 championships, he kind of just has an undeniability factor to him. Like, he will always find a way. He's not the freak athlete or the superstar with a huge arm, but he is just kind of a dogged player, a really good runner. And I think Utah suffered a lot on offense with him not playing this year and also Tavion Thomas being out. Really, the Utes had a boatload of injuries on both sides of the ball. And the fact that the team went 8-4, and four, um, is just a testament to Whittingham, who I think is one of the best coaches in off college football. Yeah, I think we definitely agree. I'm curious if we're looking at the offensive side of the ball, and obviously, again, we direct everyone, heck, you can all do it while you're listening to this pod if you're sitting by a laptop, pull up Bradley's article on Inside NU, because as Brad is wont to do, it includes some very detailed film analysis to go with everything that he's saying. And I'm curious, Brad, looking on the offensive side of the ball, if if you look at maybe like a guy who's going to be there and a guy who's not going to be there, and based on what you saw on film, who's a guy that, that you're very much glad is not going to be there and who's a guy that you're very worried that is going to be there? I think starting with the player that Northwestern's lucky not to see, I think it'd be Devon Vele. He was definitely the alpha dog for Utah in the receiver room, uh, led the team in receiving yards and declared for the NFL draft. And Utah wasn't a particularly strong receiving team anyway, per se. Um, but I think Vele being out and also Mikey Matthews, who's kind of the number three option for Barnes and Utah's quarterbacks this year. He's also in the transfer portal, although there's a little more uncertainty if he's going to play. He posted kind of a TikTok indicating he was still with the team, but there hasn't been an indication he's going to play. Um, so I think Utah's passing attack is definitely a lot weaker. And again, as I said, it wasn't really a forte to begin with. But on the other hand, someone that I think Northwestern is going to have to deal with and encounter is Micah Bernard, the running back. Um, he missed basically the entire season with what was thought to be a season-ending injury, got hurt in the opener against Florida. And he was part of a two-headed monster for Utah last year with Thomas. He had over 500 rushing yards. And Utah filled his production pretty well with Jaquindon Jackson and Jalen Glover, who are kind of a, a thunder and lightning duo. 
very different runners, but both pretty effective. But now you add a third element to that in Bernard, and I think he's hungry to be back. I think Utah fans are really excited to see him. And Northwestern was not uh, very good against the run most of the year. The team allowed over 100 yards in 11 of 12 games. So I think Northwestern is really going to have to key in on the run and, and deal with Bernard, who at least in the one game I saw he play this year is pretty good contact balance and definitely some pretty good bursts too. It'll be curious. I mean, I'm curious with that in terms of we're all familiar relative to Cam Porter, for example, of like the idea that a guy can be out for that many games. Now, again, Porter's injury knocked him out for, you know, a full season. But the idea that a guy could be out that many games and then come back, you know, is it always is, you know, I I just find it hard to believe that he's going to be all the way back. And maybe, you know, I don't want to eat those words. So like knocking on wood, I certainly to the extent because I'm looking through your video and it's kind of sounds like one of the two guys is a little bit more of a water bug, right? Like a more like East West runner um, is like, am I, am I correct about that? Like one of these other two backs is a little bit more of a small guy, correct? There's no question. Jalen Glover is more of that East West shifty running back. He's only five, eight, but he kind of packs a punch a little bit. And I think is a little faster than Jackson probably try to get him more the outside to the perimeter on sweeps. But um, yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the offensive coordinator, Andy Ludwig, approaches this game because it's really the first time since that opener against Florida where Utah has all of its running backs healthy um, and even has kind of a running threat at quarterback. Bryson Barnes took off a good amount for the Utes. Uh, and, and going back, looking through that box score, I mean, Bernard got seven carries. Nate Johnson, who's a starting quarterback, got six carries. Jackson got five carries. Glover got four carries. I think it might be kind of a similar distribution. Even Bryson Barnes, when he played in the game, um, he had three carries himself. So I think I wouldn't be surprised if Utah ran the ball a lot more than the team passed it against Northwestern, not only just playing into Northwestern's weaknesses as a defense, but also what Utah wants to be on offense. And I think uh, back like Jackson could kind of wear you out as the game goes along when you have to tackle a guy who's 6'2", 228. Glover is kind of more of that home run threat. And on the note of a guy who I think Northwestern is getting lucky not seeing, Sione Vaki um, was a two-time all-first-team Pac-12 selection this year. He made it as a safety and he made it as kind of an athlete or pump returner. And he really did everything for Utah. He played in the backfield. He was a pass catcher at times. Just look at his tape against USC if you really want to see the impact that he can make against a team and on a defense. So I think Baki being out is going to have a lot of ripple effects in this game. He's also one of the leaders for the team. Uh, but I mean, he had, he was the second leading or the change that the fourth leading scrimmage guy for the Utes with 520 scrimmage yards, 9.8 yards per touch. So, Baki being out is huge, but at the same time, yeah, you're going to have to be wary of Glover, who can just pretty much make people miss in the open field. On on the defensive side, um, you know, Utah is very much known for their defense. I mean, they, like, you know, we talked about the, the, you know, when they only give up 17 points, they're winning more often than not. Um, how, How many, like, how much of that defense do you expect to see on Saturday compared to what we may have seen uh, throughout this season? I guess I would say probably about 7 of 11 typical starters. The biggest loss I talked about was Ellis. And when you watch Utah's defense, he's pretty much making an impact almost every single game. He had almost double the number of pressures as anybody else on Utah at 39. Um, And there's a reason he was a first-team All-Pac-12 selection. Will probably be a a mid-round NFL draft pick if he does decide to declare um, but again, it's expected he's not going to play. There were pictures of him posted and his arm was in a sling and he missed the last few games of the season, I believe. Um, but then the starting safeties, not only Vaki is out, but Cole Bishop, who is pretty good for Utah over the course of his career. He is not going to be playing in this game. 
And then the corner, Travis Broughton, was, I believe, a multi-year starter for the Utes. Um, he entered the transfer portal, no indication that he is going to play either. But of course, we don't fully know what the situation is looking like there. So I think um, Utah's defense is, it's, you know, it's going to be well coached and should be pretty disciplined. Um, but at the same time, I feel like this defensive, at least statistically, I don't want to say misleading, but in the games I watched, it wasn't like an Iowa defense where you can't score at all on them or it's really hard to move the ball. I think the Utah defense sometimes gave up some big plays. USC took advantage of that a few times. Washington took advantage of it a few times. So I think it, for Northwestern, it's probably going to be attacking the right spots. I think the secondary is makes sense to attack a lot, not only based on what Northwestern does well as an offense, but given Utah's probably down three of its typical five starters in the back end, is it makes sense for Mike Bajakian to go with more of an aerial attack against Utah. It does seem like Iowa, it, I mean, Iowa, it does seem like Utah. I mean, again, I think this is some of the parallels. I think clearly with what they're missing from a pass rush standpoint and what they're missing at safety, like I've like, and the fact that Iowa's Iowa, like this is obviously a step down, but they do seem really stout through the middle. I mean, I was thinking about Nebraska, and granted, it's a different scheme. I mean, it's that three-three-five stack, and I think you know Northwestern had trouble with these non-traditional, non-four-man schemes at times this year. But common thread being, Wisconsin had—I mean, Nebraska had a couple big-time DTs in the middle who caused a lot of problems, and it kind of seems like Utah has some strength up the middle, like behind their DTs and behind their linebackers. Is that correct? Yeah, I think it was an interesting evaluation of the layers of the defense, because I think an edge rusher and defensive line, Utah is pretty strong, but the defensive tackles to me, at least in the in the few games that I watched, did not really jump off the page. Um, I'm trying to see who the primary starters were, but I think Keanu Tanuvasa was a starter, had just a 55.2 PFF grade. Uh, Junior Tafuna had a 53.1 PFF grade. These defensive linemen oftentimes looked like they didn't have a strong rush attack. They didn't attack the quarterback super well. They didn't get off blocks great either. So I think if Northwestern wants to run, it probably should be up the middle because even without Ellis, who is a premier edge player overall, you still have Connor O'Toole and Van Fillinger, who are pretty solid edge rushers in their own right, even if they're not on the caliber of Ellis. But I think linebacker is a position where Utah is going to be pretty strong with Kareen Reed and Lavani Damuni. Uh, both of them had really good years. Reed actually had the lowest missed tackle percentage in the country, I think minimum 500 snaps. And um, they're both pretty, pretty strong, pretty veteran players. So I think Northwestern's going to have to make sure that they don't control the game and, uh, the, you know, they can avoid, I guess, in some ways trying to attack up the middle or at the very least mitigate their presences. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Simpson of the Simpson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Simpson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Simpson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SimpsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation and go cats. So, so that's Utah. Um, what do you think, you know, what do you make of, of what Northwestern's going to be bringing to the table? Obviously we haven't released a two deep in years. Uh, if, if anyone even remembers what a two deep looks like, um, you know, we, we know that Josh pre went into the portal. Uh, we have not heard one way or another for sure that he's not playing, but seems like he's, uh, seems like he you, we shouldn't look for him necessarily on Saturday. 
But, you know, how does Northwestern attack this Utah defense with who's going to be there? And, you know, what kind of, you know, curveballs could we maybe expect to see, if any? I mean, I think from a, a pure roster standpoint, the fact that Northwestern is probably going to have 21 of its 22 starters on both sides of the ball is a really big positive. I think you can tell from this Northwestern team, there's still a very strong desire to want to win this game, even though, as Braun mentioned in his presser, I think it was they that they found out they were going to the bowl game, that they kind of want to view this as the last chapter of a storybook 2023 and then move on to 2024. Um, but I think for Northwestern, as I talked about, it's going to be through the air. I think Ben Bryant is going to have to play at a pretty high level, which he's done most part for this season. I think avoiding careless takeaways is, is something that has plagued Bryant the last two weeks against Purdue and against Illinois. Um, some questionable decisions made trying to force things in against uh, deep safeties is probably not the way to go with Utah, even though the Utes are down there top two starting safeties. And I think looking at the outside, I'm expecting Cam Johnson and Bryce Kurtz to definitely need to succeed against a Utah secondary that, I mean, Zamaya Vaughn is kind of the, uh, he's going to have to be the top dog for Utah at cornerback and maybe on this defense with no Vaki and no Bishop and no Ellis because he played 554 snaps on the outside and probably expect him lined up against Cam Johnson a decent amount. But I mean, the last time we saw Northwestern, the Wildcats gave up o- over 200 yards to Casey Washington. So um, I think, yeah, I, I guess that's talking about more Northwestern secondary rather than uh, what Utah is doing on, on the defense side of the ball. But I think, uh, attacking Vaughn and, and whoever is in the place of uh, Utah's typical starter, which kind of was Broughton uh, at 434 snaps, looking like it could be Miles Battle, although I think there's some uncertainty there. I think Tao Johnson is kind of their main slot guy, and he definitely got beaten a few times, especially by Roma Dunze. But then again, kind of everybody got beaten by Roma Dunze. Um, so I think even AJ Henning in the slot, using him on deep overs or, or using his speed, I feel like you can never have that too much in this game. Um, and I think just kind of forcing Utah to make tackles that the Utes were a pretty strong tackling team. I think they had the second fewest missed tackles in the Pac-12, almost the fewest, just one more than Oregon had the whole season. Um, but I think if you if you can create some conflict for this Utah defense, I think communication in the back end is could be worrisome if you're Morgan Scally because you're down Vaki and Bishop, your two leaders, and you got to make sure everybody's on the same page. So um, maybe if Northwestern tries to kind of split these safeties in, in cover two and cover six with Utah, seem to play a decent amount when I watch them on tape. Um, that would be a good idea. But I think just overall, for Northwestern, I would say probably don't try to change things too much game plan-wise. It's an offense that at times can look like it's pretty free-flowing. Other times looks like it really struggles to move the ball. But I think if Northwestern really tries to kind of spam the run or be too one-dimensional, it's going to be a problem. I mean, Utah allowed just 84 rushing yards a game, um, which is obviously pretty tremendous. But at the same time, I think it's not totally the same Utah defense, um, but I think at the end of the day, if Northwestern gets a pretty clean pocket for Bryant and allows its receivers to win on the outside, whether it's curls or slants for Johnson or deep overs for Henning, I think Northwestern should be in a pretty good spot. Yeah, I kind of am of the same read. I think I sort of liken it to, and again, it's from a scheme standpoint, it's not an apples to apples comparison, but last year's Wisconsin defense, where Wisconsin was very can still stout against the run like the classic in, in the classic Wisconsin style, but they had lost their ability to get to the quarterback and they, when that happened and their coverage wasn't particularly strong anyway, like people realized that they could be thrown on and people stopped trying to run against them. And I sort of feel like that's the same thing. I mean, part of it is maybe because we're in the middle of counting down these top 50 
Northwestern plays of the season on our website right now. I mean, on our Twitter feed, but there's just, it hammers home how good the three wide receivers are. Northwestern's three wide receivers. I mean, Kurtz, Henning, and Johnson are, I mean, they're great. And you're talking about these three guys that have built this rapport all season, um, going up against a incredibly green secondary. And again, like you said, very well coached secondary. That's true. But it's going to be a green unit. And these three guys are, I mean, they're in lockstep. I mean, we've been fortunate. We talk about injuries. We've been fortunate that these three guys, by and large, have been out there pretty much the entire season to work. I mean, Henning was out for a little bit. But, they. I mean, these guys are, they're absolutely dialed in. <clears throat> and it seems to me, right, that obviously, I mean, I from my page, no one is... There's no guy that I'm more happy isn't there than Ellis. I mean, I like yeah. the the with him out and this is their star pass rusher with him off the field. One of the big things is just like we're all terrified of a team that can really get to the quarterback. Well, right, like a Penn State, like an Iowa. And I think this buoyed by playing a couple of teams that weren't particularly great at getting to the quarterback. And in the case of Purdue, a similar factor being that one of their top pass rushers was out for that game. Exactly. Um, and then if Northwestern is able to just get around that and get, get enough pass protection, I think the, the guys are going to be open and Brian's going to be able to get them the ball. So, yeah, I mean, that's the big thing, but I'm, but just like you saying, like you talked about that 80, whatever it is, 80 something rush yards a game in the PAC 12. Like, I don't know that we're the team that's going to crack that code. I'm just not sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's fair. Northwestern average, I think it was just 105 rushing yards a game. Um, and I, I'm curious to see kind of what the rushing carry distribution looks like because it feels like it's kind of been a two, three-headed attack the whole year. I mean, I, Cam Porter is pretty unquestionably who Northwestern wants to give the ball to the most just based on the fact that he had 156 attempts and Anthony Tyus was 45, Hyman was 32. But at the same time, we've seen games where the team kind of rides the hot hand, Tyus against Iowa and Nebraska. Hyman has gotten some looks at times. And even though I very likely will be Cam Porter's last game as a Northwestern Wildcat, I think he will probably get the bulk of those carries. But at the same time, if you want to change it up and give the ball to Highest or to Tyus or Hyman, um, I don't think that's a bad option. I feel like you can never have enough touches to a guy with the speed or explosiveness of Hyman and even the bruising ability of Tyus. So uh, I don't expect Northwestern to have a ton of success rushing the ball. Um, but the good news is, as I said, that Utah's DTs, if they want to run up the middle, are are not particularly spectacular. And I think that plays into the advantage for Northwestern, too, because, I mean, you see what a guy like Johnny Newton did against this offensive line. It was pretty uh, disastrous, to say the least. He basically had three sacks. I think only two of them counted. But um, I don't know that Utah has a guy that's going to completely wreck the game as long as uh, Caleb Tiernan and Josh Thompson hold up pretty okay on the outside. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I mean, I we've talked about this before, but Thompson – um, and Tiernan, those guys finished pretty strong. I mean, Northwestern's offensive line has had its ups and downs, but the tackle position, and it's kind of funny because I think we're looking and being like, again, like there's a chance that we're actually going to have some stability at the tackle position, knock wood for a little while now. And those two guys have, you know, from a great perspective, like those guys have improved um, throughout the season. Obviously, we're looking at some wholesale change probably in the interior going into next season. And it's kind of like, you're kind of looking to see if we can hit some sweet spot here um, with the tackles continuing to increase, but still having some of the holdover. And again, we, we say this not knowing how much of the interior is returning, but um, it could be that next year we have three new guys at that position. I mean, obviously 
there'll be a little bit of a start on the future here. If Preeb does not go at left guard, Jordan Knox will almost certainly get that spot. He's going to be probably the left guard of the future. So it's going to be interesting. Like you said, from a running back standpoint, I'm kind of looking and it's that there's that push and pull of, it's like you want Porter, you want Porter to get all the flowers, right? It's like this guy has given everything for his, what probably will be his Northwestern career. Um, has been getting healthy for so long and you want him to have all that. And then at the same time, it's like Hyman's arguably aside from handing the single most exciting player on this team, he's an absolute lightning bolt. And it's like, I want as many touches for Hyman as possible. And then sneakily Tyus has maybe the lowest top end speed of just about any running back in the big Ten. <laughs> but watching all of his tape this season, I like, He's a guy who sneakily does just about everything well. Um, he runs with power, he runs downhill, but he's really good at finding the hole. And it's basically like, if you're okay with the lack of top-end speed, um, and it's like he's he's a guy who just does a lot of other things well. So I'm going to be really interested to see how we deploy all those guys. But again, right, it's like credit to Utah. Like, they're a very good run defense, and we might have to just go through the air. One one other thing I wanted to bring up because we were talking about uh, that made me part of the reason I offered the Iowa comparison at the beginning, other than just the defense is Iowa sneakily. We talked about how does a team that has a a non-functioning offense win as many games? And of course, the defense got all the headlines. But one of the other things we talk about is that Iowa special teams unit was awesome. And it sounds like Utah's special team unit is also awesome. Correct. Yeah, I was actually kind of surprised and almost kind of stumbled upon the Utah special team stats. But I thought, you know, if I'm running a breakdown this thorough, it's got to include special teams too. But uh, yeah, the kicker, Cole Becker, had a really strong year. He made every extra point. He only missed three field goals, although none of them were from an incredibly long distance. He did make from 51 against Florida, but uh, I think he went three for four from 40 or more yards, which is which is pretty strong. So kind of a comparable season and player to Jack Olson in a lot of ways. And punter Jack Bowmeister, I think I said that right. He is honestly maybe the most exciting or fun player on this Utah team outside of Vaki. I mean, he was a Ray guy semifinalist. He had, I think, 17 punts of 50 or more yards. Uh, His highlights against Florida are absurd. He had two punts of 60 plus in that game. So yeah, field position is definitely probably not going to be at Northwestern's favor. Just when you compare Bo Meester to Hunter Renner, assuming he gets the start in what could be his last ever game as a Wildcat. Um, I think that's not going to help Northwestern's offense, but at the same time, I mean, special teams, of course, play a role, and we saw it certainly play a role against against Illinois. And I think Northwestern special teams have been much more up and down throughout the whole season. Punting has been a very low point. Kicking has been a, a relatively strong point. Um, but I think Utah, at least and from a kicking and punting standpoint, is pretty sound, and that does give the Utes a little bit of a benefit there. Well, hey, if, if we're if we're seeing a lot of uh, Utah's punter, that means they're not scoring touchdowns. So I would point, yeah. I would like if they want to if they want to punt all day long. Great. We'll we'll figure something out. But uh, that that's that. I'd rather see a lot of Bowmeister and be impressed by his punting ability and be able to break down like seven, eight, nine, ten of his punts uh, on Saturday than not see him at all. So yeah, there was there was one other thing that I think we wanted to talk with you about relative to this game, and it's something because I know, and we were talking a little bit about it before we even hit record here that. I think you're kind of attuned not just to the film study of the players and everything, but a little bit more to kind of the Utah sphere, right? The the sphere in terms of 
what writers about Utah are saying, what kind of like the, you know, your shadows over on that side, they're the kind of things that, that they're looking about. And I think it's hard for me to look at this game without looking at the intangible factor of Utah's eight and four, but it's not like they're super stoked about being eight and four. Whereas Northwestern is seven and five. And we're all in the throes of this miracle season where it's like fan base team United. Everyone's like, this is a special season. They're obviously have so much uncertainty relative to the portal, relative to guys out relative to who's whereas Northwestern with previous kind of the, the notable exception. And we're even kind of waiting to hear on him is all, they're all pretty much in lockstep. And like Sam was saying, like a, a last ride kind of mentality with this team. Do you have a sense, like what is your sense relative to Utah of the general feeling around the team going into this game relative to all the flux and how you juxtapose that with Northwestern? I guess I will start by saying, obviously I haven't had the chance to spend time around Utah, not quite in Vegas just yet. And uh, just, from reading tweets and and things from Utah fans and stuff like that, I think there's probably a little bit of disappointment that Utah did not compete for the Pac-12 this year, given that Rising came back for his sixth season. They had Thomas Yasmin uh, coming in. There's an expectation that Bernard would be the starter. And I mean, yeah, the Pac-12 was probably one of, if not the most formidable conference in the country this year. And I think it would have been really exciting to see Utah go head to head with Oregon and Washington and Oregon State and all those teams. Um, But I think when Rising went down, that definitely put a damper on the season for Utah. But I think Utah fans seem pretty appreciative of just having the chance to even play in a game like this. Utah has a lot of experience playing in Las Vegas. The team won its last two Pac-12 titles in Allegiant Stadium the last two years. And I think Utah understands that there's still something at stake here um, that, you know, if you can if you can end a season and win nine games, even without your your star quarterback and pretty much most of your really good defensive players getting injured at some point in the year, it's something to be proud of. So I think Utah's still going to give it pretty much a full go and, and earnestly try to win this game, even though Barnes is going to leave afterward. And, uh, you know, there as you said, there's more uncertainty regarding what the team looks like next year and how well it gels and where it fits in. Um, in the Big 12, I believe it's joining. So uh, that is going to be interesting to see. But for now, I think, I mean, I don't know that, I think it'd be hard to say that Utah um, is despondent or something going into this game and that Northwestern could capitalize on that. I think at the end of the day, it's a Kyle Whittingham team. It's going to be well-prepared. And um, even though Utah had some games that did not go its way this year against Oregon, against Washington, um, it's still going to be pretty tenacious and, and probably try to find a way to win. I mean, it's not like a uh, Florida State versus Georgia and the nobody wants to play in this game bowl game. Yeah, I don't think it's like that. No, I, yeah, that I know what you're talking about, Sam. Florida, Florida, Florida State's playing for a national title, Sam. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, but Florida State's playing for a national some, title with on some of those people down in Tallahassee. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean that one. I, is, uh, that one's highly yeah. intriguing. I don't think this one's on that caliber necessarily, but I think both teams are definitely trying to win the game. It'll be interesting to see um, the the crowd uh, breakdown because Northwestern historically travels really, really well to bowl games. And you've got the entire West uh, West Coast Northwestern family, easy trip to Vegas. But, uh, I mean, Utah, is, Salt Lake City is just a, uh, less than a one-hour flight to Vegas. It's, you know, four or five hours drive. It's not far. But you also have the flip side of, you know, no team has played in the Las Vegas Bowl more than Utah has. So, you know, we'll see if, like, the Utah fans come out in droves because, you know, Vegas is not this sort of new shiny toy 
for for Utah fans. So it'll be really interesting to see kind of the crowd breakdown. I think you know general consensus would probably tend to think it you know, be primarily Utah, but like I say, Northwestern always travels well to bowl games, and you know having never been to a bowl game in Vegas, uh, I, I think. I know a lot of people are going to be flying out for that because, you know, it's Vegas. And Vegas is just a good time, win or lose. Yeah, I was going to say, being out in Sacramento in this past March, it was pretty incredible to see how well Northwestern traveled out there to a city that doesn't really have a ton of specific connections to Northwestern, per se. It was a very solid turnout, and I would expect a lot of the same. I think a lot of people want to have the chance to maybe meet Coach Braun or or just kind of celebrate the year that Northwestern had, defying pretty much every expectation that this team um was was really dealing with and the fact that northwestern hasn't made a bowl game in three years should also attract a decent number of fans and on top of the destination but i think obviously utah is just a, a much bigger population and school size and a bigger alumni base and more proximal so i would expect probably a little more red in the stadium but i think northwestern is going to turn out pretty solidly and go into a lot of these road games at wisconsin at nebraska even at illinois there was always a solid contingent of purple i mean a lot of the time it was parents and family but you had those people coming to this game on top of just a lot of Northwestern fans that I think are, are really feeling optimistic about the state of the program and the state of the school after a pretty disastrous summer. And I think it's going to be a feel good moment for a lot of those people in attendance. Yeah, I agree. I mean, again, I think at the end of the day, it's probably going to be a lot of red. It's going to maybe a little of the feeling of the, uh, of the big 10, the last couple of big 10 championship games, yeah. uh, 2018 big 10 championship game. Maybe that kind of feel a sea of red, but a, a strong purple contingent, obviously, like you said, all those things. And then the obvious fact of it being Vegas It's funny, Bradley, you talked about, you're like the, uh, you're saying I, I'm not knee deep in like what's going on in the Utah circles because I'm I'm not out in Vegas yet. And it's like, my friend, that is not what you should be doing when you're out in Vegas. That's not what this <laughs> is. This is this is it's Las Vegas. Like you know, you need to you need to be dragging yourself into the stadium on game day from wherever you were the 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 night before. But um, with all this said, so circling back, I mean, again, I I was very much. I, I was there was a tiny part of me that was hoping you'd be like, yeah, from what I'm hearing from Utah train wreck, just like they don't know down <laughs> from up. It's a bunch of they could care less. Half the team. I heard half the team didn't even show up. And it's like you're like, nope, Kyle Whittingham, they'll be dialed in looking for a special season still. With all that said, what's your read on this game? What do you think um, with with what Utah's bringing in and what Northwestern's bringing in? Um, how do you see this game shaping up? So I'll start by saying this. I mean, I'm an avid player of Bull Mania. You know, I love being in the group with you guys. I think the season hasn't gone perfectly for me so far. A few uh, unpredicted things. But I was very surprised to see only 9% of people picking Northwestern to win this game. At least the last time I was checking um, who was predicting those types of things. And I think, you know, a lot of it has to do with the name brand, the fact that Utah was ranked for a lot of the season. But at the end of the day, this Utah team is not the same Utah team that played for most of the season that led this team to eight wins. And I really think in a lot of ways, this game favors Northwestern. And I mean, of course, it's not going to be easier going against Kyle Whittingham. Uh, Utah is very familiar in Vegas and on the West Coast. But I just think the magnitude of losses for Utah can't be overstated. You lose Vaki, who is an emotional leader and a really impact player on both sides of the ball. Um, you lose two of your five starting offensive linemen, at least kind of the that's the expectation. Keaton Bills, the starting left guard declared for the draft and LaMea, the starting right tackle, accepted the senior bowl invite. And he wasn't listed on the Utah depth chart as far as I know. And then in the secondary, I talked about it. I mean, 
It's not the same Utah secondary, which was pretty solid throughout the full season, but Ellis not playing is going to be monumental in this game. And we, as you talked about, we've seen Northwestern just get absolutely wrecked by some elite defensive linemen and edge rushers this year. I think as long as Northwestern can keep Ben Bryant at least relatively upright in this game um, and take advantage of of maybe some defensive lapses for Utah, as, as rare those might be, you don't have your two starting safeties, pretty much a starting corner, I think. This game, in a lot of ways, can favor Northwestern as long as the Wildcats can stop the run. I think that's the big deciding factor. It's kind of, you know, the three-headed attack of, of Bernard, of Jackson, of Glover, and then Barnes likes to run a lot, too. You can handle the Wildcat because Utah kind of did that a good number of times, and I would expect it more even in this game, um, given that Barnes uh, Barnes likes to run and Utah wants to get a lot of people the ball. I think if Northwestern can get Utah into throwing downs third and longs and kind of let the secondary go to work, I think that also puts Northwestern in a, in a good position. And kind of at the end of the day, all season long, it's been kind of hard to predict what would happen with Northwestern. But the last two or three games have really underscored to me that for as lucky as this team might be getting, for as badly as this team has played in a lot of ways, this team just finds a way to win a lot of games that it probably shouldn't. And I feel like this game is going to fall into that category. Um, I just think there's a lot on the line for David Braun to get a bull win in his first season for a lot of these players, Ben Bryant, Cam Johnson, uh, maybe Bryce Kurtz, all those guys want to end their college careers the right way. I just think Northwestern has a lot, as I said, going into this game and and really wants to capitalize uh, and culminate this, this 2023 season with a bull win. With a loss, it would put a little bit of sour taste in everybody's mouths. You go seven and six, but eight and five is a pretty definitive statement that we we challenged the world and we proved everybody wrong. Well, Bradley, thank you so much for taking the time to jump on with us. Have a blast in Vegas. I mean, even if gambling and boozing isn't your thing, there's so much more uh, to Vegas than just that. Go have a good time. Enjoy the game. uh, And hopefully we can catch up afterwards uh, celebrating a W. Yeah, it's, I'm really looking forward to it. As I, I told these guys before, I've never been to Vegas before. I'm really excited to see Allegiant Stadium as well. I think it's one of the more underrated. The Super Bowl is being held there in two months. Um, so that's going to be fun to see. And yeah, I think Vegas overall it seems like there's a lot of energy and should be a good time no matter what happens for the Wildcats. Well, as a Broncos fan, feel free to burn the place down on your way out. <laughs> um, I, I, I would be totally fine with that. But uh, again, th- thanks for taking the time and we will catch up with you down the road. Perfect. Thanks so much, guys, for having me on. I always appreciate it. Have you ever thought about building a Westlaw Pirates-like community for your business? If so, we've got your solution. Teamworks Media, a brand marketing and content company, is here to help you tell your brand story better. Better yet, you can work directly with the founder, Jay Sharman, known on this podcast as Like the Posts. The same expertise he's brought to brands like ESPN, the Big Ten Conference, and Northwestern University are now available to you in an affordable way directly with this Wildcat superfan. Contact Jay directly at 312-446-9435 or jay at teamworksmedia.com to learn how to elevate your brand's story. Uh, once again, Bradley Locker uh, from Inside NU. Always great to have him on. Um, amazing insights. And, you know, like, like we were saying before, you know, if we hadn't had him on, we would have just been basically reading his article uh, for, for you guys. So... Yeah, best have the you know the the writer himself, uh, the bona fides of, of Bradley Locker. Um, again, awesome to have him on, and uh, appreciate his time. Oh yeah, it's awesome. And and again, like they like everybody else, have fun in Vegas, everybody. Like I mean, like this, it is for everyone who's going. We are there in spirit, and we were telling Brad after you know after we stopped recording, just being like, 
send us some photos, man. Like whatever you guys are up to, like we want to live vicariously. So that goes for all the rest of you as well. Get us those photos. Yeah. Anyone who's listening to this on their flights to Vegas, uh, anyone who's listening to this at 4 a.m. as you're stumbling back to your hotel from whatever shenanigans you've gotten into at Ve- in Vegas, uh, let us know. I, like I, I lived in Vegas for a few years right after school. It's killing me that I can't go to this game. Um, obviously, this close to the holidays with our kids, the ages that they are, it's really, really tough to get away. But uh, this is this is one that I really, really wanted to be at and, and bummed that I can't be. But uh, everyone who's going... Send us your send us your pictures. Hit us up. Let us know how everything's going, um, so we can all live vicariously through you guys. Uh, now we're going to get to our seg our like the post segment presented by Teamworks Media. Um, not not a lot to get into from Jay tonight, uh, but we did want to kind of talk a little bit about how this game will shape our view of Northwestern football, kind of for this season and and moving forward. You know, we, we, we talked about it a little bit with, with Bradley. I mean, a seven and six season feels different than an eight and five season. I mean, they're both winning seasons. And like for for what we were coming into at the beginning of the season, I mean I we're both over the we're over the moon for either either one of those. So I mean it's it's a great season for the cats regardless. But as we kind of spin it forward to, you know, the first full off season under David Braun, um, you know, coaching changes, which we are expecting to happen. You know, who, who knows what that, how that's all going to shake out, but like, how does this game winning or losing shape the view of Northwestern moving forward into 2024? Well, and, and when we have this discussion, right, there's the giant elephant in the room. That is this 2024 schedule. Oh my goodness. Good God. Oh my Good God. I think we were all aware of the, of the individual pieces of it. Right. But then we all became starkly aware when the schedule rankings came out and Northwestern's currently third uh, in the nation in strength of schedule. Now that is with one massive pile of creamy frosting on a cupcake uh, yet to be scheduled. And rest assured with the schedule Northwestern's looking at, Northwestern is going to pile the creamy frosting on that cupcake for that (laughs) for that 12th game. Um, But with that said, it kind of goes with it, right? And and that's the thing. And I guess I, I would look at it kind of like this, which is at the low, at the nadir for all of us this summer, right? Um, as bad as it got, as low as it got, I think we were all kind of dealing with everything in the present and very much trying to compartmentalize and not be like, and on top of that, here's how much stronger the Big Ten is getting. And here's this fact that we're probably going on the road for two years. And there are almost certainly going to be coaching changes at the end of the season and all these things. And like, I just can't bear to think about all of those things. So it's like almost like disassociating, right? It's just like, let's deal with what's in front of us. Well, in a lot of ways, a lot of those back end things still haven't changed. We know now for sure that we are going to be going on the road for two years. We know the conference is really tough, and now we've, we're staring those numbers in the face, third t- highest, third toughest schedule in the country. The difference for me is now when I think about this, like, you know, I think what I was kind of visualizing was like, visualizing was like a raft going over Niagara Falls and just trying not to process <laughs> that it was coming. Now it's like there's still a boat and there's still a waterfall. But now I more have this vision of like Washington crossing the Delaware in the boat where it's like, 
David Braun standing in the boat, right? Like gallantly with like the team loaded in the boat behind them. And they are all just like soldiering forward. And in, in some ways you can be like, well, like, look, there's still a boat and it's still going over the edge. And it's like, yeah, but it's different now. It's like the team, it's like there's this galvanizing force, right? Where it's like the team is, is ready. They've come together. They are locked in. Braun has done this unbelievable job. And they've had this amazing season. And that's buoying us as we head into this precipice, right? And, you know, it's like to, I think maybe a lot of people outside of the community, they'd be like, man, like, that's fool's gold, but best of luck. And it's like, I don't know. I, like, what do you want to say? Like, we're Northwestern fans. And you know what? You all said we were going to go 2-10. and 10, And here we are. So the, I think with all of that said, you're right. Like we're all going to be happy with seven and six with this season. But I think we are all very much buoyed right now of being like this team's taking all comers and staring into the void and shouting into the darkness and being like, we're coming, right? And this would be the piece to be like, yes, we got that eight and five win. We took down like exactly one of these top, you know, tough uh, Pac-12 teams that we're going to be facing next season in the Big Ten, and we handled them, and we're we're here, we're ready for this. Well, you know? I mean, to, Utah's going right. To the Big no, I 12, mean like so of the type, yeah. right? I mean, sure, yeah, sure. I mean, sure. hell, that whole conference was good this year. It feels like just about everybody. Yeah. But you know, it's like it's that thing. It's like again, there's a lot of je ne sais quoi here going on, right? Where it's like, look, I can't exactly put what I'm trying to say into words, right? But I feel like a lot of you get it right it's like that this that this team has in the face of this titanic precipice we're headed towards this galvanized force right and this kind of like valiance that i feel like would be reflected in an eighth win and i i just want to put you know put some concreteness on what the schedule looks like um you know again you know it, it's it's too early to really dive into this but you're just on the horizon as we as we kind of get everything together and you know take this good feeling um, from this season, which, as you say, a bowl victory would just make even that much more sweeter. But we're looking at a season with with no true home games, as you know Ryan Field will be torn to its uh, torn to the studs. But opening up against Miami, Ohio, a team that went 11-2 and this season and just lost their bowl game to App State. You got Duke, who we, you know, we don't need to say anything else about except that we're glad that Riley Leonard is now at Notre Dame. Our very first Big Ten game is against the reigning, defending, well, can't really defend it anymore, but the reigning Pac-12 champion, uh, the Washington Huskies, who will have come off the a playoff appearance, win or lose, but also having brought in the second lead, the second leading passer in SEC history at quarterback to uh, replace Penix. Yep, it, it is what it is. You know, I mean, this is a team that theoretically, and it's certainly not that hard to imagine, could win a national championship and play us three games later. That is one hundred percent on the table. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I just, I keep, I mean, I get it. And, and, and it goes back to, well, go ahead. I'll let you continue. Cause you're going to go with it. Yeah. yeah. So, 
um, you know, we, we, like we say, there is still a game yet to be scheduled. It could go before the Washington game, could go after the Washington game. I'd imagine uh, I think, we wouldn't see I think see we're literally going to hold that game in Molly's Cupcakes. That's going to be the road venue. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got Indiana. And we're at Maryland. Uh, we just got news that Talia Tagavaloa is leaving. So uh, they'll be breaking a new quarterback. Um, we have Wisconsin. We're at Iowa. We're at Purdue. And then we get Ohio State and Michigan. In back-to-back weeks, uh, the Michigan game in Ann Arbor uh, before finishing off with Illinois at the end of the season. We've got two uh, playoff teams yep. from this season. And, and Ohio State. The num- number one and number two playoff teams and Ohio State. Yep. I mean, so yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it. if you look at those teams, you're like, oh, my God, that does look rough. And at the same time, I'm like, I mean, I know it's like Miami of Ohio, MAC champion. I it, it, again, it goes to that kind of thing where maybe to some people, and I think especially to people outside of the program, they'd be like, this is like lunacy. Like you guys are really trying to gird yourselves for what's coming. And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. I mean, it, we are, but also. Right, exactly. It's like we are. But you know what? We watched this team do some really special things this year. And you're telling us that like that team uh, can't beat Miami of Ohio. That team can't beat a Duke team that's making a coaching change and has lost Riley Leonard, right? And then I look at like the whole middle: Indiana, Maryland, Wisconsin, Iowa, Purdue. It's like, did you watch Northwestern against all those teams this year? Like, we gave as good as we got in every single one of those games, and we didn't play Indiana, who is probably the worst of those five teams, right? And then Illinois, right? And it's like again, like we got the hat back. We're trying to reclaim it here, and it's like. Again, you're looking through and you're like, all right, well, but to, to put the season together, you're looking at trying to pull six out of that whole group. And it's like, yeah, but I just gave you eight games. And it's like, maybe like maybe we pull six out of that group. Maybe we pull five and knock one of the others off. And either way, another special season, right? I mean, and this is like, again, keep in mind that as we head into this precipice, every game, there are 24 of them. And every one of them takes us closer to that gorgeous, shiny, brand new building, right? Um, yeah. And and yeah. that already, already, we're already turning the page where you look at like the 2025 recruiting class, right? It's like those guys graduate in 2025, right? They come in, they redshirt, and then they play their entire career in the new building, right? I mean, immediately it becomes a vehicle to recruit all these guys to come in and just like for already like the players that are in high school right now like they're basically only going to know a new building so really you know faster than we think we're going to get to that point but i don't know so like taking us all the way back to like how we got here right and what jay was talking about and the, the context relative to the i think we'll be happy one way or another but if we get that eighth win it's just very much going to increase the idea that like yes we are headed into the void, but it's like this team's ready and this team is like 100% down to go into that place like bucked up. Like I said, like that visual of Washington crossing the Delaware, like they feel like they're in that place mentally and that helps us get to that place. And if they can win this game, that's only going to increase that. Yeah, I mean, a, a win in this game would kind of put a, a fitting end to just an unbelievable story. Um, you know, the story of the, the 2023 season, uh, which was 
just an incredible story and this would be a great way to finish that story and if you're looking to enhance your company's brand story uh we want to you know shout out jay Sharman, jay at teamworks media 312-446-9435 is jay's number um give him a call he does just a great job uh helping your company's brand story uh get as improved as possible so again jay thanks for um thanks for your support we very much appreciate it and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll go from there. John, you mentioned something just in passing there, and it completely slipped my mind. We're recording this on Tuesday the 19th. By the time most of you hear this, it'll be signing day. Signing day is tomorrow, the 20th. <laughs> and like that, that's just not been on any of our radars. It's like, we're going to see what happens tomorrow. Um, and it's not going to be a very big class. I think we're looking at, what, 12, I think. But, you know, the, the recruiting for the for the the following signing day is is going to be ever present. I mean, there's a lot going on, and you will turn. We'll look at that story after the the bowl right. game, and, and we'll kind of see how how the twenty four right. And I know you're all looking, being like, "Hey, and we just barely got a commitment from a quarterback, Ryan Bow, out of yeah. out of yeah. uh, Illinois." And it's like, yeah, absolutely. And like, we will have plenty of time to go into all of that down the road. We're like well aware. I think the one thing in general I would say, relative to this class, is, is Braun has done an awesome job putting together this class. When you keep in mind that. There are some stark realities, which is Northwestern has incredibly high standards. And when a bunch of guys decommit relatively late in the recruiting process with the standards that Northwestern has and the slots that have to be filled, like it is just it's a real like to come in and kind of have one hand behind your back relative to that process and be able to complete the class that Braun has completed is an awesome job. And again, like I said, we're going to have plenty of time to talk about that down the road, but uh but yeah, it is wild that here we are. Plus, not not to mention, I mean, Braun was recruiting most of the season as an interim coach, right. so you you've got that going against you as well. And like the the, the fact that after he was hired full time, he is still able to to bring in a few more uh, recruits. And again, we'll go all, we'll go into all this a lot more in the weeks. All, to come. all I'll say is to your point, right? He was recruiting before as an interim coach. Looking ahead at twenty twenty five. Now he's recruiting as the Big Ten Coach of the Year with basically a shiny brand new stadium to offer every kid who wants to come to Northwestern in addition to everything else Northwestern offers. So it is not the world he was in even months ago. It is a different world. Yeah. Um, I I know we're running a little bit long. We don't want to, you know, we'll talk hoops uh, a little bit later. But, uh, you know, we do want to mention, you know, coming off last week's just inexplicable loss to Chicago state. Um, you know, the cats were able to get back on the horse, uh, you know, coming, coming back and going to DePaul and, uh, coming out with, uh, coming out with a W was a, not a pretty game. It was, it was not a pretty right. game, were they, but it was, were a they riding standard? Were they riding side saddle? Were they kind of slumped over the horse? Who's to say, but they got back on the horse. I, we were laughing because it was like, Hey, as everyone gets psyched up to go to Las Vegas, Northwestern basketball was taking us back to Cancun from last season and being like, Hey, were you, were you missing that sun and fun in Cancun? Well, here's a game just like the Auburn game that we played last year. Except we won this one. So it's like they did what they needed to do. Was it pretty? No. But, I mean, can you imagine being that team, 
having that Purdue win than having that Chicago State loss and having to rally after that. And they did it, and now they're going to move on. And, uh, you know, on Wednesday night, they are also out in the desert. They flew down to Phoenix uh, in Tempe area to take on Arizona State on uh, on Wednesday the 20th. So we will cover all that in the weeks ahead. Um, Again, you know, next week we'll be back uh, to talk about the bowl game. I'm very much excited to see as many of you as possible out at Bermiscuous on Saturday the game is, I believe, 6.30 kick uh, on ABC. Uh, so if you're not able to come out, which hopefully you will be able to, um, you know, just make sure you're, you're tuned in for the game. It's going to be a good times uh, and very much looking forward to it. Scuzz, feel better soon, buddy. Um, John, always a pleasure. And, you know, for everyone listening, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Uh, you know, it, that'll all be in the rearview mirror the next time we, uh, next time we talk. So... Just want to take that opportunity to uh, wish everyone out there happy holidays and uh, yeah, thanks thanks for listening. We appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely, um, enjoy the holidays, and we hope, like I said, we'll see a ton of you at Beer Miscuous on Saturday. And let's go, cats! Uh, so we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website westlawpirates.com where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Westlaw Pirates. Email the show westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Fields flag the Red Pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John LeCombe and Eric Scasboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.